0: And this, I have created this podcast to document my journey into cinematic edification. This month, I'm exploring the films of Bong Joon-ho as recommended by writer-director Jim Mickle. And in this week's episode, I'll be wrapping up the month by talking about Boon Jong-ho's 2017 Netflix-exclusive film, Okja. And I've got to say, um super impressed by this film. I've been super impressed by Bong Joon-ho. This has been quite a great month for films. I, I have to say, despite what I've been seeing with Bong Jun ho in between um, the two films that I've been covering for this podcast, Memories of Murder and The Host, and then just going out to see Parasite in theaters, I had underestimated um, him, unfortunately, I should say, and I, I think it was because of the the Netflix exclusive title on Okja. Now, I know that a lot of um, good filmmakers and TV makers have been drawn to Netflix because of sort of the um, the creative freedom that they've been given by the, the by the company to kind of make whatever they want. Um, obviously Martin Scorsese is, is arguably the, the biggest name to be drawn there um, with the Irishman coming up later um, in the year. Alfonso Coron with Roma last year but I still had, a skepticism in the back of my mind because of that Netflix title, which I feel a little bit bad about because I know that um, there was some booing of of uh, of the Netflix title specifically when Ocha played at, I believe, can uh, last year, which I think is is nonsense. But um, you know, there there is this idea that um, Netflix exclusive stuff doesn't really ne- necessarily have the the quality um, that a lot of stuff uh, has if it's kind of released theatrically or that sort of thing. There there's there's sort of uh, seems to be a kind of a um, a habit uh, of filmmakers in the past to kind of, if they're unbridled, to kind of, um, go a little bit crazy, um, and so I guess I was kind of not expecting, uh, that Oak Joe was going to be crazy per se, but I was a little bit worried that, um, it just wasn't going to be up to snuff because of the Netflix title, which is a bit ignorant and presumptuous of me, um, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I've been trying always to kind of talk about and keep in mind this idea of judging a film on its own terms and, and trying to kind of keep um, stuff like that, just uh, presumptions, things like that, out of it and outside of it. So um, I'm a little bit guilty of that, and I uh, it, it's foolish of me, especially because considering how great this movie turned out to be, and I, and I think also the first maybe 30, 40 minutes of this movie kind of threw me off because it did seem like for the first... Um, you know, third of it, it was going to be a a, a family-friendly kid film. Which, um, once again, my my expectations were subverted. But and not saying that I don't think Bong Joon Ho would have been able to do that well. But I guess it wasn't what I was looking for from him. So I um, I came in kind of looking for something which is going to be not dark per se, but I was certainly looking for that uh, that mix of tones and that. Um, that, uh, that, that taste of satire and kind of the, the societal criticism that I had been kind of looking for from this guy. And for the first 30 minutes, it just kind of seemed like it was going to be a, um, a, a well-made, um, but kind of adorable children's film. And even when Jake Gyllenhaal shows up, um, uh, in, in the film playing the, you know, the, the, the crazy kind of, um, animal, animal loving TV personnel, like I just kind of thought it was, it was, it was, fascinating, but it was just kind of him being goofy and over the top, and, and and Bong Joon-ho has been um, many things, and you can describe his work in many ways, but over the top is not really one of them, and so that kind of threw me off a little bit, because I was sort of um, thinking that, okay, you know, this is going to be another one of those cases, like Jim and I talked about with uh, maybe Snowpiercer, or um, with Juan um, Kar-wai in, in My Blueberry Nights, or, um, you know, John Woo with, uh, you know, a lot of his American titles. Just something kind of being lost um, when a foreign filmmaker kind of makes a a uh, an exclusively or a mostly exclusively kind of English-language film, as this one was um, seeming like it was going to turn out to be. Something seems to kind of get lost in translation, or tones or moods don't seem to translate very well. And I thought that that was the case until Okja gets taken to... Paramus, New Jersey. Um, in a way, Okja is sort of the um, the typifying of everything that I had come to expect from Bong Joon Ho films, and, and that first half an hour or forty minutes or however long it is when we're when we're um, when we're following Okja and uh, Mija in in South Korea, kind of rollicking through the hills, um, and 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 kind of getting very emotionally invested in their life. It it, it it's it wasn't a diversion or distraction per se but what it was is sort of um kind of painting a picture of what the rug is going to be so that it can be pulled out from under you quite effectively um I had you know we've, we've talked plenty of times in this podcast about how Bong Jun ho was great at mixing tones and moods together um inside uh inside of sequences inside of scenes inside of the film you know on a, on a larger level and this one kind of strayed away from mixing them together because instead what he sort of does is have the pendulum swing from one direction to the other and yet does it in such a way that it 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 still feels natural and still makes sense It, it it as we get deeper into this exploration of kind of really american culture and consumption and um you know this uh the you know the the Meat industry, really, um, and and corporate greed and 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 and, um, and deception. As we get deeper into that, as we get further away from home, as we get further away from South Korean and um, and nature, and more into this the cityscape and, and this this corporate greed, we move away from levity. Um, and so it, it's not so much a mixing of tone as much as it's a transition. And it's not a it's it's not a stark transition. It's not one scene is. Is Happy-go-lucky and the next one is brutal. It is sort of is kind of like a transition almost you think of a, a color wheel It doesn't things just don't go straight from like, you know um, Red to purple to, to blue There's many shades in between and the, and the transition from one color to the next is is a subtle one and a, kind of a, a gradual journey, and that's what this film was like it was a a gradual journey from levity into darkness um, into a darkness that is Chock full of what we have come to expect from Bong Joon Ho—that idea of a um, a a cynicism towards um, society, uh, and not so much an exploration of class separation, but certainly an exploration of how uh, uh, of of the effect of um, corporate greed and, and, and corporate um, money on uh, on on society and how that is. How they dehumanize, um, or or not just people, but also animals. It's, it's strange to say dehumanize animals, but certainly taking the soul and, and the and the um, intimacy away, removing them from um, a a living being in order for uh, in order for an upfront, in order for uh, in order to profit off of that. Um, there is also, of course, the exploration of um, of of authoritarian. Um, oppression and, and, and suppression and and then there there's also just this, this is um of course this this um exploration of sort of these these um all these themes on kind of a a larger scale um but it wouldn't be nearly as effective and evocative to us if we didn't first kind of have that emotional investment in these characters and so that first 20 or 30 minutes of this film is emotionally investing in this characters in, in a way kind of Letting, having us let down our guard, really. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, I was kind of thinking, like, okay, well, this is going to be a, a good film, and I'm certainly curious on a on a logistical and, and, and filmmaking level how he was able to create this film with this um, CGI character interacting with this young woman and um and with the, the, his physical environment, and yet, um, you know, I'm not too engaged in what's going on. There seem to be no stakes, and then slowly but surely the stakes get Um, gradually introduced to you and um, more and more characters are introduced that sort of have um, not so much a black and white um, well not so much a black and white worldview they they aren't so much black and white in their morality but there are these shades of gray and and there's this transition from the levity into the seriousness um, with this sort of transportation scene when Okja is being transported by truck from uh, from uh, the, the, from the, the country to Seoul, and there's that giant chase in, in, in the indoor mall. And we're introduced to Paul Dano and the ALF for the very first time. And, and there's some excitement there, but it's also some weirdness. you know, that's kind of the, uh, you can't really figure out who these people are. They, they seem to they seem to be terrorists, but also they are they are nonviolent terrorists. They don't want to hurt anyone. And there is this kind of weird, um, tonal confusion, which I do think is very much on purpose, because if we're watching this movie through the, the POV of media, it's also sort of confusing as to what is going on here, who are these people, and just all of a sudden, um, transitioning from, um, geographically from the, the, the mountains in, in South Korea to the big city of Seoul, there's sort of a unfamiliarity, sort of, you know, she is not used to the city, she is not used to the, the stimulation that's all around her, and there is just sort of this general sense of confusion, which I found, um, to be on purpose, and also to be very effective, but then we, in, we are introduced to the ALF, the Animal Liberation Front, which, you know, we're, we're, kind of at first assuming to be the, the good guys, and to the, to a large extent, they do turn out to be, but of course, in typical Boon Jung Ho fashion, Bong Joon Ho fashion, I'm sorry, um, it's not quite as simple as that. Paul Dano turns out to be a kind of a, a good character and sort of a hero, but also with how with how he treats um, Kay, the Stephen Young character, um, beating him quite thoroughly when he finds out about the deception that um, Kay uh, um, um, put Mija through. Um, you also kind of realize like this is not this is not straight black and white. This is not a a a one hundred percent good character. Just as though uh, Tilda Swinton, um, uh, as the CEO, is also not a one hundred percent bad person. She's certainly um, well. I, I guess she's. I think you can say she's she's a a bad person, but she is not a a malicious person, or at least her her, ob- her objective is not entirely just um, blind corporate bre- uh, bl- greed as her twin sister, played by her as well, um, Nancy is, um, Tilda's when we first in- are introduced to her as the CEO of the Mirando Corporation, um, certainly wants to be a good CEO, but also seems to be very much um, living very much in the shadow of her father, of this predecessor who was... A terrible person, they say, but he was great at business, and so she's trying to live up to a kind of a standard that this guy set, and and she is very uncertain of herself. She seems very neurotic and very kind of anxious and very uncertain of everything, and, and uh, which seems to feed into Juan Carlo Esposito's um, character, kind of trying to usurp her or um, bring Nancy back into the fold to take over this corporation. You know, it doesn't seem like she has she's as cutthroat as as maybe the board would want her to be. She's she's a, a CEO who is running this this corporation, certainly, which is raising these super pigs to to ultimately. Be be slaughtered. Um, and, and she is, she is perpetuating that deception, but she also seems very uncertain of herself. Um, and she seems very uncertain of her motivations and what she should do as a, as, as a CEO and as a boss basically. And and it's, it is fascinating that you kind of have this, this room for, um, for doubt and this room for these complexities, because I think once again, it is, it is Bong Joon-ho kind of leaving room for, um, for absurdity by, by kind of saying that in the end, no one is a winner when it comes to these forces that are in control. Um, and, I, and I think by showing that Paul Dano has his bad side as well, and that Tilda Swinton has her vulnerable side, um, we, kind of, we are kind of getting this this the, the hints or this idea of that um, when it comes to authority forces like this, when it comes to forces that shape um, the world and shape society, no one really is a winner um there are no entirely you know when 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 there's these these forces that are controlling people that are controlling industry that are dehumanizing that are that are really causing violence and further separation no one is really a winner and so that way you can really have no one which is entirely a good person um and yet there is still uh, the room in the film for the observation or the exploration of exactly what he means by that, which, of course, is um, can be often horrifying. It was fascinating to me how I was watching this movie with my uh, fiancé, and once Okja kind of got into um, the factory and were introduced to, as Jake Gyllenhaal horrifically says, Alfonso, your new boyfriend... Um, she ended up leaving the room because, basically, it, what what happens is then a, a rape scene. And my reaction at first was like, well, no, that's not the case because this is an, an animal. And yet, at the same time, because we have been emotionally invested in this character of Ocha as as a character and her relationship with Nija, all of a sudden, this, this scene of, of forced breeding becomes not just... Forced breeding, um, as we are kind of used to it, as 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 is what happens with animals, but it becomes a it be, does become a rape. It becomes non consensual sex, and I was intrigued by how that emotionally affected me and how I, you know, all of a sudden I have these two voices inside me, one of saying, well, this is an, uh, an, an animal. And one of which is saying, yes, but this is a, a, a living creature with feelings. And this is not what this creature wanted. This creature did not consent. And that kind of began the, the deeper exploration of sort of, um, uh, of how I was uh, emotionally reacting to this, um, to this corporate culture, to this, this, these horrific acts that I was seeing. And um then and that also opens the floodgates into the further darkness of this because then you later on have the, you know, what is supposed to be a um for the sake of PR at least, a a a happy reunion between Okcha and Mija later when there is the the um the celebration of the the greatest like super pig contest in in downtown New York City. Coincidentally the the um the address that you do see, Thirty Broadway, is um, right outside in real life the Goldman Sachs headquarters. So it should kind of once again add some context, some subtle context to what ultimately happens later when um, you know the 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 rioting begins and the the black chalk police officers kind of do start beating um, some of the ALF people and some of the crowd to disperse them. There is allusions there to the the um, Occupy Wall Street riots and the protests there, um, so, and, and that adds. Uh, that opens the door for Bang Jun ho to, to talk more uh, again about society and about authoritarian forces and set against the backdrop of where the where these real protests happen though these real protests against these this financial system which had worked so hard to and for so long to uh, oppress the little guy and to keep um, people who were out of power out of power and to keep people who were in power in power um, it's 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 not text in the film but it is subtext which adds more of, of which adds more layers to this to this film which is so sharply critical of society and where society has been and then um, I, I found it quite interesting that you then have once Jake Jenhall's character is exposed to be a you know a, a bad person his apology before he is um, rightly nailed on the forehead with a glass bottle you Harkens back to or is reminiscent of so many Celebrity apology, non-apologies Where he doesn't say that he is sorry Or he doesn't admit wrongdoing But he says um, I I, I vow to learn everything I can About this situation You know, that kind of bullshit That we've heard from um, Louis C.K. Or from Charlie Rose Or from these people who have been um, Caught perpetuating Sexual violence and sexual assault Against um, women and against um, voices who have been oppressed. and their response is not to admit wrongdoing and to not apologize, but in a way to kind of um, continue supporting the system that allows that allows them to have done that by saying that they vow to learn everything they can about the situation, kind of painting them as this um, righteous objective, Um, participant who um, vows, you know, like, oh, there might be some wrongdoing here, but I'm going to learn all about it so that I can um, be a further ally in in, in bringing it down rather than just saying, like, no, I I am a part of this. I have helped perpetuate this. I have caused people to be victims. Um, And so thankfully, um, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal gets a little bit of of comeuppance um, in the scene, at least, which is not often uh, what we have, unfortunately, seen in real life, but there was, at least at that moment, kind of a little bit of of catharsis, and then, um, of course, eventually, at, at, you know, at the end, when there is the eventual rescue of Okja from the, the slaughterhouse, it is, it is a bittersweet moment, as has been the case with bittersweet moments in Bong Joon-ho films, um, you know, at the end of the host, our protagonist has survived, but his daughter has not, and he is, uh, you know, once again, a part of a loving family, but is not the loving family that started the film, or in, um, Memories of murder, um, we do kind of have a, a an emotional um, resolution to a certain degree, but there is no resolution to the actual case. You know, the murders have still gone unsolved, and so maybe there is some um, emotional peace for our protagonist, but there is no, you know, psychic peace, if you will. And in this one, um, I, I was just kind of thinking that as um, as Midra and Okja are kind of walking away from this facility, and they're kind of walking down this path, just surrounded by these. Um, electric fences that have to have thousands of these super pigs in them. I was thinking how bittersweet it was that, like, yes, our our protagonists and our our, our characters here they are reunited and they are together again. And Misha has Okcha, and Okcha has Mija, but how many other thousands of people people? How many other thousands of these super pigs? are not going to meet up with their people, are not going to share the same fate, that that instead of the fate that they have is, a, is an air gun to the head and um, dissection into different um, pieces to be shipped out all over the world for food. Um, we have a happy ending in our intimate story, but in a larger story, the system still perpetuates and the system still continues. And even the thing that saves Okja, that, that, that um, sets them both free, is not... The power of love overcoming anything, or reason, or uh, emotion—it's cold, hard capitalism. Um, Ocha is only free because Mija purchases her freedom with the golden pig that her grandfather gifts her at the beginning. It's—it's it's a, the result is ultimately happiness, but it is not a happy. Path to get there, or at least there's not the, the the redemption that we would that we would hope to see. There's not the resolution that the CEO of the Miranda Corporation continues being the cold-hearted uh, CEO of the Miranda Corporation. It is not her heart which ultimately um, uh, wins the day. It is um, it is her head. It is logic. It is um, well. This is a good financial decision. Um, it is here's the first um, Super Pig purchase that we can promote, basically. And so it it certainly raises that that interesting question of if it is a, uh, a a positive result does it does it matter how 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 we got there basically um, and so there is that that certainly that cynicism or that bittersweetness as Okja and Mija are walking away um, and then also of course the heartbreaking scene of the the two these two super pig parents who push their little baby out who want their baby um, to escape this fate. They have the, the cognizance, the, the, the recognition of the situation uh, enough that they want, they know that they want their child, their offspring to be away from it, even if it means being away from them. And now this movie was made in, or released in 2017, which means that they was probably, um, in production in 2016. So this was, um, before everything had happened in this, uh, in this country with, um, the situation at the border with the child separation policy for migrants and separating them from their, um, separating families and, and you know, putting them in, in, in cages and, in unsafe and, and horrifically inhuman conditions and inhumane conditions, this was before all that had started, and yet it is impossible for me to watch this movie now in 2019 and, and likely if I would watch it again in 2020, hopefully not any longer than that, God forbid, but, and not thinking in, in and not just, have these images of these immigrant families being crammed into cages separated from each other and just wanting these parents wanting something better wanting an escape for their kids and just thinking like in real life you know we 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 occasionally hear these stories about a family which is reunited um you know a family which was separated for who knows maybe you know days weeks months finally being reunited with each other and yet thinking like, but at the end of the day, what is the cost of that? Um, it, it seems um, on the surface a, a happy story, thank God, that there's this you know, five-year-old child who's reunited with mom and dad um, who is who's given a chance to escape the situation or, or, or a situation of a, of a child being adopted into an American home. And, and, and on the surface, ostensibly, things are, are better and safe. But what is the trauma that is going to come with that? And not just that, but of this this one happy story, this one happy ending, how many dozens, hundreds, thousands are still waiting for this happy ending or are not going to get a happy ending, are still locked in, in, in cages, are still being separated and still awaiting an imminent dark fate. I couldn't help but think of that modern context as I was watching this film and it's all because of a story in which a a young girl is has developed a a loving, caring relationship with a with an animal. I have um, I have heard some people say that they've watched this movie and they've kind of like, well, I'm never going to eat meat again. And they've kind of swore off a certain dietary um, uh, livelihood, if you will. And and while I I I don't have. That necessary reaction. I, I've seen plenty of things, including food ink, which is sort of, of course, um, made me aware of the inhumane and horrendous conditions and which which can go into um, uh, the preparation and distribution of of meat products. Um, it it while well, so while I, while I am consciously aware of 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 those sort of things, my 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 actions are 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 certainly have responded to that in the way that I choose to, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the food companies that I do choose to, to, um, purchase from, and and the places that I do choose to go to eat, um, but, but this movie has made me think of, of, of basically what this, how this message is going to get out, you know, I, I talked about at the beginning of how I was a little bit skeptical because of the Netflix title, and yet at the end I thought it was actually kind of a stroke of, of genius that, um, Bong Joon-ho chose to make this movie with Netflix because, um, you know, people like, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're a Bong Joon-ho fan, you are going to seek out his movies no matter where they are. You're going to see them in the theaters, or you're going to rent them on, on Amazon Prime, or you're, you're going to see his movies. Um, but the majority of, of this country um, <clears throat> might not know who he is or are are not going to uh, deliberately go out and see his movies. Maybe they've seen Snowpiercer or something, which is arguably his, his most mainstream and accessible film. Um, but they don't know who this guy is. They don't know what his films are about. So by releasing this movie on Netflix exclusively, it opens the potential for this movie to be seen by by millions of people, you know, how many people are going to be scrolling through their, you know, their Netflix feed, as people do, you know, we all do this, you know, it's it's a, it's a Friday night or it's a Saturday afternoon and we're just kind of like, <clears throat> we have nothing really in mind that we want to watch, so let's just scroll through Netflix and see what they recommend or, or, <clears throat> or what's out there, and how many of these people in you know outside of new york city and, and la or these big you know these big urban socially active atmospheres how many of them are going to be scrolling through netflix and kind of seeing here's this movie which seems like it's it's pretty cute there's this this giant cute pig like thing which just seems so adorable and and um you know it, it seems like it has this relationship with this cute little girl and it's it's this um, beautiful setting in like the the, the rolling mountains and and, and hills of, of South Korea and like this this seems like it could be a could be a, a cute little film really you know a, an adorable little kind of like um, friendly yarn that we can sit down and watch and for those first like I said twenty or thirty minutes it, it really is and maybe they watch it and they they find it to be pretty cute for the most part and then the ALF shows up and they think it's kind of Weird and like, you know, oh, there's some humor here which doesn't really make sense. And who are, are these are these guys? Good guys or bad guys? I, I can't really tell. Um, and yet the movie keeps going. And then that movie all of a sudden has that, that begins to dive into this darkness and this blackness and this exploration of corporate greed and um, authoritarian oppression and um, inhumane uh, conditions in in... in in um, meat making and distributing factories and, and sort of it starts getting into these darker films and suddenly, or these darker themes and it suddenly, you know, p- potentially millions of people who had no idea about the stuff or had no real interest in kind of exploring on their own are suddenly being exposed to these themes because they were lured, lured in by what seemed like a, a, a family friendly um, cute kind of little um, fantasy romp, if you will. Um, some may think it's deceptive, I guess, but I think, but I, I don't think it's deceptive because, as I described, like this film doesn't dive right into it. It has that slow transition. It, it slowly becomes something else. The layers kind of start um, unwrapping, and you eventually see what this film is. And so, I do think it is, like I said, a stroke of genius that this movie is available on Netflix and potentially millions of people who were not socially conscious. Um, by no fault of their own, but just didn't, you know, weren't aware of things or just kind of didn't really have the motivation or the ideas of where to start um, are suddenly being exposed to these ideas of um, how horrific um, police brutality can be or how horrific uh, the meat industry is or just these larger themes of um, corporate greed. You know, it, it's kind of, it's, it's sort of um, a one-on-one class basically on how film can expose you to these larger ideas how film can explore explore um you know deconstructing these things and educating people on these things and it's all because they didn't have to travel into the city or they didn't have to you know spend 20 dollars on a movie theater ticket um for a a a thing that they might have been afraid of because like well it's you know it's got subtitles so it's I don't know, this doesn't seem like it's going to be speaking to, to to me where I am. This doesn't seem like it's going to really be speaking to this culture. It seems like it's going to be a very niche thing. And it does become a niche thing, but first you have to do get through the the um, the general things, basically. And, and, and I like how it sort of does slowly start introducing people into these things until eventually maybe someone has sat through this entire thing because they were so invested in this adorable pig-like creature and this little girl after these first 20 or 30 minutes of the film, they were just so entranced and so invested in what was happening that as things started going to hell, they just thought, I have to see where this goes because I am involved now. I am invested now. And at the end of the day, I think the potential uh, for that is a really powerful and kind of hopeful thing. So, um, that, uh, does it for my discussion of Okja, which unfortunately also means that is that has done it for my discussion with um, Bong Joon Ho, and um, I have to admit that right now I don't have um, a um, a a guest or a theme lined up for November, but it's um, it's a long month, so I'm sure that that will be um, remedied soon. So be sure to keep um, an eye on the ID Movies Badly Facebook page to. Um, to To keep in tune with what was it, what is going to be going on for November, but um, of course, if you want to watch *Okja* for the first time or rewatch it, it is available on Netflix. It seems like that is the only place that you can see it. So, um, hopefully, you are one of those millions of people who have Netflix. Um, and if you um, well, if you have not <laughs> seen the movie, I don't know why you are listening to this podcast because um, of all the films that I have discussed uh, from Bong Joon Ho on this podcast before. This one seems like the um, the least. Uh, you should not be spoiled before going in and, and seeing this one basically but um, it is always uh, of course as before easy enough to get in touch with me you can um, shoot me an email at uh, you do movies badly at gmail.com um, you can tweet at me uh, uh, nolan fixes teeth on Twitter catch up with back episodes of of um, I do movies badly at battleshipretention.com. Go to the podcast drop down menu and find I do movies badly, or you can go to I do And because it is still October and it is still um, the Halloween season, I, of course, am going to be um, continuing um, plugging my cast of Cthulhu, um, other podcast uh, that is um, uh, that what I do with uh, James McCormick, a former or, or friend of the show and, and former guest, um, in which we review. Um, the cinematic adaptations of H.P. Lovecraft. As of this recording and and, and uh, posting, we have only had two episodes: the pilot and the um, discussion on Stuart Gordon's Reanimator. Um, but in the coming days, uh, we will also be having our our episode discussing the sequels: um, the uh, Bride of Reanimator and Beyond Reanimator. So that is, if you are interested, the cast of Cthulhu. Um, C T H uh, U-L-H-U for the spelling of Cthulhu, so um, of course that leads me to uh, sign off here by saying I want everyone to have a, a happy and safe Halloween based on my social media feed. It seems like most Halloween activities, um, at least when it comes to trick-or-treating, all happened this past weekend, but of course Halloween is, is still coming up in a couple days on October 31st, so if you are doing anything for it, whether it be going out and partying, staying in and watching scary movies in the dark, I hope you do have a happy and healthy um, Halloween. It is one of my favorite times of the year, um, specifically because of um, you know the idea of how we can kind of um, explore and indulge in sort of um, fun terror. You know, OJ explores the these these themes of these real life terror, these real life horrors that we are going to see on an everyday basis. Um, these things that that can often seem or seem that are oppressive and really kind of horrifying. And one of the things that I love about Halloween is this idea of we can explore um, myth and legend and and these these fictional scares in a in a safe and fun way. And we the things that we know are not going to hurt us. The things that we know are these fears that we can overcome. You know, we can turn on the lights. We can take the mask off. We can laugh. These are scares that are they kind of reinforce and as a strength that we can overcome. And and, and there's a real sense of fun. And I've really, really have always appreciated that ever since I was a kid. So um, I hope you have a, 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 everyone has a safe and happy Halloween. Once again, whether it's by yourself, whether it's with your friends, family, loved ones, have a happy Halloween Um, and um, be sure to tune in next week. Well, (laughs) be sure to tune in uh, in the near future. Um, We're always talking to a new person uh, about a new theme and we'll hopefully it will be just a little bit less ignorant. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.